It is time to dig deep with Stacy and Stacy, a podcast for anyone hungry for God and willing to tackle today's relevant issues with authentic conversations inspired by Holy Scripture, prayer, and devotion to the sacraments. Hosted by two Texas gals who went to the same country Baptist church as little girls, had crazy lives, and found each other again decades later as Catholic convert wives and moms. Get ready, y'all. They're fixing to get real. Hi, I'm Stacy Farquharson. And I'm Stacy Trisenkos. Welcome to Episode 7 of Season 3 in our journey into this book written by Dr. Alice von Hildebrand, Brand, Letters to a Young Bride. By Love Refined, Letters to a Young Bride. In this book, Dr. Hildebrand refers to herself as Lily. So Lily is the godmother writing letters to her goddaughter named Julie, who recently married Michael. And the book is a series of letters that she wrote to her goddaughter. And you kind of get from the titles of the letters, you get the backstory. You, you can you can deduce what's going on between Julie and Michael. And that this goddaughter is turning to her godmother. What a wonderful godmother to have and asking yeah. her for advice in her marriage. And so this is a great book. Get get by the book for yourself it will change how you view the most intimate of relationships, your marriage. Buy the book and give it to anyone you know who's married, newly married or not, um, struggling in marriage, what marriage, getting complacent in marriage, whatever. This is a wonderful book for any marriage. I'd say any relationship. I think it's just very good fundamental right. advice about being human. Mm-hmm. But before we get to the letter for today, let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the grace that you bestow on our relationships. Grant us an abundance of grace, a supernatural insight to see the other person in love, to see him or her as you see that person whom you created in your image and likeness. Fill us with your love and teach us your ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Stacy, what does this letter say today? The letter today is titled, Their Marriage Seems So Perfect. And Lily says, Dear Julie, Just this morning I received your letter telling how you and Michael are depressed about the luncheon you had with the Delisles. How ironic that a pleasant afternoon with friends can turn into an occasion for distress. Their very joy with each other upsets both of you because, and I admire your honesty in admitting it, you envy them. They seem to have achieved what very few couples achieve, perfect harmony, a synchronization which reminds you of a perfect duet. Suddenly, all the small daily annoyances and arguments which arise in your marriage sallied into broad daylight, and you saw how far you and Michael still are from perfect unity. This doesn't surprise me. Don't forget that not all marriages have exactly the same difficulties. Some human beings have easy and pleasant temperaments, and Christine has one of the gentlest dispositions I've ever come across, which is a big help in a marriage. You and Michael aren't as mild-mannered. But neither are you at war with yourselves from morning to night, which would also make marriage very difficult. 
So perhaps you should ask, what's the theme for you and Michael now? And consider your distressing luncheon as another situation giving you the choice between the right or the wrong response. The wrong response would be to drop your arms in discouragement. Maybe others can do it. They were dealt a better hand. It's just no use with us. The right response is to let George and Christine's beautiful marriage convince you that true harmony between spouses is, in fact, actually achievable. When you get discouraged, try to recall the story of St. Augustine, who, before he converted, heard about the wondrous deeds Christians had accomplished and exclaimed, if others can do it, why not I? And he struggled still more courageously with God's grace to free himself from sin. No doubt your marriage can be improved in many ways, but this fact is actually far less important than your continuing resolve to pick yourselves up after every fall and declare, now we're starting once again. An imperfect married couple who continually strive to deepen their harmony and love is far better, far better off than a couple who believe they've reached perfection and settle down in complacent smugness. I'm sure that George and Christine didn't achieve their unity overnight or without great sacrifice and suffering. As in any great love relationship, unity came from their steady will to keep improving, and it will only continue as long as they maintain that resolve. Regardless of the particular difficult that afflict your marriage, loving patience, goodwill, and prayer, a lot of prayer, will enable you to triumph over them, provided you both truly desire victory, which I know you do. Let the example of George and Christine lead you and Michael to practice even more ardently the art of loving. The beauty you see in another garden is a call for you to tend your own garden with greater love and care. That's so beautiful. Stacey, at the beginning, it says that Julie and Michael were depressed. Why do you think they were? I'm going to put into words what you are thinking, the listener out there. And I'm going to put into words what you're probably thinking. I hope I do. I think we all can kind of see it when we're looking at Julie and Michael. It's not so easy to see in our own lives, but when we're looking at Julie and Michael, it, it becomes obvious. They're depressed because they're comparing themselves to the other couple. They know everything about their marriage, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They know everything mm. about their own marriage, and they see they see the struggles they have, and all they're seeing is this not a facade, but they see what the other couple wants them to see when they're together. They see uh-huh. the public facing face of the other couple's marriage, which we all put on our, you know, we, it's a matter of good manners. We put on our best behavior and they're comparing those two things. They literally are comparing the skin of an orange to the whole of another apple. <laughs> and it, and yeah. you can't make comparisons like that. It will depress you. People are great too. We have to say it at wearing masks and, you know, even if you're just putting on a courteous, you know, maybe you and your husband are actually really fighting and you're having one of the worst moments in your marriage and you go to dinner with another couple, you still put on a good manners mask and keep your your bad stuff to yourself and you, you put on a pleasant face or you try to. I mean, I know it's not always easy to do, but you put on your best face and you go out and you have good manners and you show the world your best. And I think that's dishonest at all. I think that's what we do for others because you don't walk around airing all your your dirty laundry everywhere you go. But it's wrong to to know about the dirty laundry in your own relationships and then compare your relationship to another. And by the way, teenagers, don't do that with your parents either. <laughs> if you 
<laughs> a teenager who's, who's they're really good because they're young and they're growing up and they're just seeing things. They always think the other parent and the other friend have a relationship than the ones at home that well, I said always, I don't mean always, but um, that, yeah. you know, it's real easy to do this. It's real easy to do this. And so the message this morning is don't fall into that trap. Don't let yourself get depressed because you're comparing the whole of your life to the good manners facade or mask of another person's life. That's one of the most powerful things I've learned just in growing up and becoming mature is you, you don't ever know everything the other person's dealing with. You don't ever know that. And you, you can't compare yourself to other people. You can only compare yourself to yourself. Am I better today than I was yesterday? And that person, you know about so you you can compare yourself so that's right. why they're fundamentally that's why they're depressed everybody falls into it we all do it but it will depress Absolutely. you if you put yourself to a, a ridiculous standard i like how lily said you have the choice in every situation to see it as a challenge to choose between the right and the wrong um i remember when i was we were training our dogs the dog trainer said don't get mad at your dog because he did a stranger see it as a as an opportunity to meet this challenge head on and learn to deal with it. And so if you, if you come on things like this in your marriage, see it as an opportunity to choose the victory. Well, it, and I will tell you, it is hard for me to learn from perfection. You know, Lily reminds Julie that the other couple, they have different dispositions. They have strengths, personalities, characteristics that's unique to their calling. And that reminded me of a woman that I used to know who had such a strong and powerful presence a strong personality. We went to church together and we would pray for people together. I mean, when she prayed, it was like, boom, be healed. And sometimes <laughs> that's all she would say. She would just go up to her and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. That I would, would look at the out. expression on the person's face or something and I would go up to him. I'm like, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this person. Thank you, Lord, for her heart, how much you love her. And I would just kind of, I felt like I needed to smooth it over. And I, it takes all kinds, right? It takes everybody. But yes, one night I was praying for her. And honestly, if I'm going to be honest, I was praying that God would soften her just a little bit because I felt like she needed to be softened. And God, do you see you, this person? God, <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm like, felt like it was hard to to team up with her because, you know, I, I wanted her to do it a different way. Well, God shut that prayer down. I'm telling you, God <laughs> stopped me in my tracks. He made it clear that he had created her exactly like he wanted her. He showed me that, who was I? Did I know the plans and purposes God had for her? Mm -hmm. No, she was made for her assignment and perfectly designed to do all that God had created her to do. And, and he showed me I couldn't do her design, her assignment because I wasn't made that way. He made me differently. I was created to be who I am in Jesus in order to walk in the plans he created for me to walk in. I was to pray for her, but never pray that God change her. I mean, it was such an eye-opening moment for me how in the body of Christ, we are all created uniquely and God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. We look at the outward appearance and we judge the outward appearance. But God sees the heart and God knows the end from the beginning. And he knows the plans and purposes he has for each one of us. And we are called to fulfill those plans, to walk in those plans and not try to walk in somebody else's plans or not try to be someone else. Because we can't. I don't care how hard we try. We can never be them. 
And if for some crazy reason we could, if something flip flopped in the universe one day and we could mm-hmm. actually become them, we would totally lose ourselves. We wouldn't yeah. be who God created us to be anymore. And we would miss out on all that he has for us. His ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. And we have to trust in the Lord and trust that he will direct our steps. And we don't want to miss out on what he has for us. And it's not only just about us. Stacy, you said one time that maybe we're an actor on someone else's stage. The plans and purposes he has for us, they're going to affect those around us. They are not just for us. It's that ripple effect Mm -hmm. that we talk about all the time. You know, if I submit to God and trust his plans for me and I let him direct my steps, then I'm doing exactly what I'm called to do. And it's going to benefit those that he has placed around Mm -hmm. me in order to benefit them. So, Stacey, can you elaborate on like the relationships, how relationships are different as people are different? I love our the duo team that we have together here because the things I had to study in dogmatic theology to learn the Catholic faith, like I, I went and got that master's degree. You just have such a natural way of putting it. Like it's 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 like you're the the female Saint Thomas of the day. You put into words so beautifully these these teachings because what you're talking about. It, I'm sitting here listening to you say. You, you've got to be yourself. You can't be the other person because then you won't be yourself. But you got to be yourself, know thyself, as we keep saying, before you can be in a yeah, relationship. Yeah. And it keeps coming back to that. Um, so a little theology lesson here, what I was thinking about when you were talking. Why is this so profound to me? Why do I like to talk about this? Because it changed my life. Here I am. I'm a chemist. I understand the atomic realm very well. I have a hard time thinking of the human person as anything but atoms and molecules for real. Seriously, just that's part of my conversion. Um, (laughs) And I'm taking these dogmatic theology classes and I'm starting to understand how the church talks about spiritual selves, how we talk about our soul, how we talk about being made in the image and likeness of God and our powers of intellect and free will and how those things aren't matter of our brain chemicals, that, that we have this this immaterial um, intellect. And, and, and I'm like, Oh, wow. That, that means I am in control of myself. It means I have responsibility for myself. And that, that does change the way you see your purpose in life. And it changes the way you understand how God made you. And it changes the way you enter into relationships. Needless to say, I was really bad Mm -hmm. at relationships, but here's what, here's what the church says. The divine persons, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit are persons. They're three persons in one God. And um, and the divine persons are relative to one another. God's the father because the son makes him the father. The son's the son because the father makes him the son. The father and the son together, consubstantial as one substance, together spirate forth as a as an act of love, the Holy Spirit. And it it's it is they it's generation. I mean, it's not generation, but it's spiration. They breathe forth. It proceeds from them. And so the relationships in the Holy Trinity, we had to learn this phrase, the relations are the persons. The relations are the persons. I'm like, what? I don't, I don't get that. Mm-hmm. But I started to get it. And Stacey, what you were just saying, um, actually, the Council of Florence said in 1439, <laughs> and I'm going to read it here because it, it's almost, it, it's exactly what you were saying. The Holy Spirit is eternally from the Father and the Son. So there was never a time when it was just the and the son they said hey let's let's 
breathed forth the Holy Spirit. They didn't do that. They eternally existing mm -hmm. from the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, He has His nature and subsistence at once from the Father and the Son. He proceeds eternally from both as one principle through one spiration. And here's the part you were talking about, Stacey. And since the Father has through generation given to the only begotten Son everything that belongs to the Father, except being the Father, the Son also has has also eternally from the father has been generated from the father from whom he is eternally born. So the, let me finish this, that the Holy spirit proceeds from the son. So that, that phrase stuck out at me. The father gives everything to the son, except to be the son. And that's what you were talking mm -hmm. about. You give yourself to the relationship, but you can't become the other person. Even in the Holy Trinity, the persons don't become the other person. They become who they are by the, relationship to the other person and so in the holy trinity their relationship is so perfect that three become three are one god in our relationships the closest thing we have to the holy trinity is the marital relationship we say to become one like we don't walk around mm. so you and i don't try to become one person we're not trying to, we're not married in the, you know, we don't have this relationship in the way that you have with Pat and I have with Jose, or even the way we have with mm -hmm. our kids. The marital relationship is the most intimate relationship. And that is precisely why it is the hardest relationship. But we need to remember from the Holy Trinity, this lesson, I mean, this for me was huge. I hope it is for you. It doesn't mean you have to lose yourself to become the wife of your husband. It doesn't mean mm -mm. you have to stumble all over yourself trying to change who you are so you can be perfect in his eyes. It means you need to find out who God made you to be because God put you with that mm -hmm. person and you need to be yourself in the relationship or the relationship won't be healthy. And there's mm -hmm. all kinds of pop psychology written about that, but it comes right from what the church teaches. And, and so yeah. that means for us, when, getting back to their marriage seems so perfect. Julie and Michael are comparing themselves to the other ones. Realize when you enter in a marriage, you have the best thing you can do for the marriage is know who you are. I know we keep saying that, know yeah. thyself, but you really need to know who you are made in God's image and likeness. Because what you've got to do next is think of that relationship as another thing. To become one, you've got to deal with your relationship as a unique relationship. So again, you can't compare it to that other relationship. You can't even compare it. And and that just remember, that is part of the Trinitarian nature of the sacrament of matrimony. You're conferring the sacrament on each other. You're praying for graces for each other so that you can be bound as one. But your relationship is never going be someone else's relationship because you are never going to be someone else and your spouse is never going to be someone else. And so there's this beautiful talk about creation. You know, God made us each mm. unique and our marriages are unique. And I think that's exciting. Like to me, that told me with my marriage with Jose, I can go around gathering good advice putting it in my basket, those fruits, I can go around gathering good advice, but it's ultimately up to me and Jose, what we make of our marriage. <clears throat> the best thing I can do to Jose is deal with myself and make the most of myself for him. I love how the church helps us. <laughs> Stacey, what was the advice that Lily gave Julie? Lily asked Julie here in this chapter, and she's asking this throughout all 
I mean, a lot of the letters, she makes reference to the theme, T-H-E-M-E. And so mm -hmm. it started to jump out at me because I've, I've been reading it over and over. So yeah. she will ask Julie to determine, okay, what's the theme? Today's letter, she says, so perhaps you should ask, what's the theme for you and Michael now? It's her way of saying, that. okay, now what? What do we focus on in this moment? What is this moment teaching us? The By theme, she means that concern to which you should give your attention at a particular moment. So the theme, like when you're in church, she says, is to adore God. The theme when you take a class, she says, is to learn. The theme when you're with your beloved is to concentrate on him or her to listen to them. She goes on to say that, unfortunately, not only is it often difficult to identify the theme of a situation, but themes also can change rapidly with circumstances. And that a true lover learns to perceive the theme of a given situation and act accordingly. You have to be able to adjust. You have to be able to recognize what's going on and understand what the priority is in that moment. I mean, we do that on, on mm -hmm. a day-to-day -day basis as mothers, as wives, as what I need to do now, what do I need to focus on. Like this morning, the theme was preparation. But one thing you were saying a minute ago, Stacy, just right quick, it reminded me when you were talking about being everything that God created us to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you that really helped me with that. Well, you know, so that our marriage can be everything God created it to be, because God knew who we were going to marry. God knows, like I said before, the end from the beginning. We've said before in a previous podcast that as mothers, God placed on the inside yeah. of you everything you need to be the mother to the child he knew you would have. Yeah. And I think that just jumped at me when you were talking a second ago, because it, it made me think about our spouses. We have to be everything God wants us to be. In Him, we, we live and move and have our being. We want to be complete mm -hmm. in Him so that we're giving all of this healed, whole person to our spouse. And in return, we want Him to give us His complete, yeah. whole, devoted to God, healed self so that we can form a whole, healed, healthy mm -hmm. marriage. And I just, you know, it it makes me want to be as healthy as I can for Pat because I yeah. want to give everything I can to this marriage to make it as healthy as possible. Yeah. It's it's so, not half plus half becomes one. It's two holes become one marriage. Right. Right. And if two broken, which, you know, two broken people try to give themselves to each other, that's mm -hmm. not the healthiest that that marriage can be. So if we work on our relationship with God, God works on our relationship with our spouse. He, you know, when we when mm -hmm. we reach out to him and we ask him, like we had said before, you know, reveal me to me, show me my weaknesses, show me anything that I need to work on so that walls come down so that I can be transparent and vulnerable mm -hmm. and, and honest with myself. And then when we receive the healing that we need from God for whatever past experiences we've gone through, mm -hmm. then we can give ourselves wholly and healthy to our spouses. So, but Stacy, what are some things that have made you jealous in the past? <laughs> yes, yes. And and I'm able to talk about that now because of what you were just saying, Stacy. I mean, it it was it was life changing for me to hear after hearing the Trinity 
you know, just like we, we have to learn about the Trinity and, and I'm getting and I'm talking about what made me jealous and why it made me jealous. The In the Trinity, we don't say three persons become one person. No, it, we're talking about different nouns here. Three persons are and they don't even become that's that's a heresy. They always are eternally existing. Never was the time they didn't exist. But the three persons are one God eternally. And, and in our marriage, two people become one married. So it, it's not a lot of people that get broken in life and they enter into these marriages that are then broken. It's because they think there's one half of me, one half of this person plus one half of this person equals one person. They're trying to, they're trying, they're not, they're not doing what's complementary. They're trying to complete the other one, which is not what complementary means. They, they're trying, they're trying to fill their own voids with the other person. And so just like the Trinity is not three persons become are one person just in marriage. It's not two half persons become one person. You're not, you're not filling the voids of the other person. It's two whole people become one other thing, one marriage. Right. And so mm -hmm. and what, and what that was where my insecurities came from. So broken Stacy came into the sacrament of matrimony like many people who are converts and even people who are raised Catholic, you get hurt by life. You get broken by life. And I, I got broken and I had wounds and scars came in and, and there wasn't really any healing. There was like open wounds and festering wounds and infection and scars from wounds that were badly healed. And, and I brought all of that into my marriage with me and I had an insecurity because I was trying to feel that, the part, the things I didn't have, I was trying to get Jose to be those things. And that was my insecurity. Mm -hmm. I was asking him to complete Stacy. And I was trying to fix the things in him I didn't like. And I just had a fundamentally wrong view of marriage. And that's where the jealousy came from. And so Stacy back then would look at other marriages and be so jealous. The reason I was jealous was because of my own insecurities. And once I dealt with those and guys, if you're thinking that's me, I don't get be gentle with yourself because it took me about 20 mm -hmm. years. I would say it took me about 15 years to realize what I'm saying. And it took another five years to get to where I am today to be able to even talk about this. So be kind to yourself. But if you don't heal those things, everybody's child. I had a wonderful childhood. I still had hurts from my childhood. I know my parents had hurts from their Everybody has pains and brokenness from your childhood that you need to fix in your adulthood. I don't think anybody is exempt from that. And so jealousy stems from insecurity. And if you haven't dealt with your own insecurities, your own feelings of inadequacy, you will see yourself in a bad light. And when you see yourself in a bad light, it hurts. And what do hurting people do? Mm. They hurt, hurt others and, and it hurts. And so you look at, you can't even look at a happy couple without being jealous. And there's something really wrong about that. Okay. Cause you should rejoice at happiness in others. And so I'm, I am happily at this other place and I'm happy to talk about it. And Stacey, you and I, it's one reason we're even doing this podcast. Cause we so related about these things and we, it's kind of, we got to tell the good news. We got to stand on the mountaintops and, sh and scream it. And shout but out. <laughs> when you, when you shout it out, when you heal, when you heal yourself, you no longer look at other people's happiness and get jealous when I, and so here's how that works. 
and Jose and I go out to dinner with another couple and maybe they're so intelligent about these things or they're so kind to each other or they, you know, his, his parents used to make me jealous because Jose's parents after 50 years of marriage still sit on the couch and hold each other's hand. And we didn't do that. And I would get jealous. Like maybe Jose's looking at his parents thinking I'm, we're not like them and he's resenting me for it. And I would get all kinds of jealousies and I, I would get insecurities and jealous about a lot of things. And I would look at the other person thinking we need to be like that. I don't do that anymore. When I see another couple that does things that I admire, like you and Pat, Stacey, I, I admire so many things. I look at other people that I admire and now I'm learning. I'm looking at them. I'm saying, man, I like how they're doing that. What can I do? And I start with myself. I don't start with Jose. I don't say, what can Jose do to be as happy as those people? I start with myself. What can I do to change myself? to achieve this. And so you, you look at other people, not with jealousy, but with appreciation and you say, Hey, there's something good there. And it inspires you to emulate. That's what that word means to emulate, to strive, to rise to the occasion of others. And the good thing is when you're looking at other people doing that, other people are probably watching you and learning from you as well. So articulate those things. You can say to another couple, I, I love this about you whatever that thing is that might make you jealous, tell them, I love this about you. And I really, I think I want that. I need to strive to be a better person like you are. You'll compliment them and then ask them for some advice. People love to give advice. So instead of taking your insecurities and hurting and hurting others, you stand there saying, God, you put this other person in my life to teach me something. What can I learn? And you go through life trying to mm -hmm. learn trying to do better. And and if you are hurting and you're wondering, you don't even know where to take the first step. The first step is go to confession. If if you're mm -hmm. if you need to deal with your insecurities from the past, go to confession. Your sins will blind you to seeing you as God loves you and your beloved as God loves that other person. So that's how you deal with jealousy. Jealousy 101. I just think that's beautiful. I think that is being humble. Um, you know, the Lord says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So yeah. if he gives yeah. grace to the humble, if you can be humble in your marriage and you can be teachable and you can recognize the good in others and glean from that, like we're gleaning wisdom from these, these letters here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not here saying, hey, we got it all together. That's why we're doing this podcast. Oh, absolutely right. not. <laughs> Stay, we're, every, every week we're looking at these letters going, oh my gosh, I love that. Oh my goodness. I wish I'd have known that you know, years yeah. ago. Oh my goodness. I'm going to do this now. If we can be humble, just recognize the good in others. He gives grace to the humble. He oh, will he give will. grace to mm -hmm. us. Okay. I'm Stacey Parkinson. And I'm Stacey Tresenko. Until next time. If you are interested in bringing Stacy and Stacy to your parish or study group for a retreat or a talk, they would love to come liven things up and keep it real. Please see stacyandstacy.site for more information. <laughs>